Welcome to the Pomona Christian Church Podcast. Enjoy this message from our current series titled, David, the Life of a King, delivered by lead minister Marcus Allen. For more information about Pomona Christian Church, please visit us at PomonaChristian.com or find us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Pomona Christian. You know, one thing I don't like to hear very much, and of course, none of us do, even especially as a kid, is no. You know, you think that you want something, your parents won't give it to you, and the answer is no, and you're upset. I remember, you know, thinking like, Christmas, that's a right. Like, whatever I ask, top of the list, you know, you've got to be guaranteed that. And many times the answer was no, and then probably forgot a month later what I even asked for. But we don't like to hear no as a kid, maybe as an adult, maybe you asked for a raise and the answer was no. Maybe you wanted a loan for something and the bank said no. Uh, Maybe you asked a girl to prom and the answer was no. You know, we don't like no. It's another form of, of rejection. But we especially don't like it when we ask God and when we pray and the answer seems to be no. But one thing we can trust, and we'll see in this account that God is our Father, as we just sang, that God gives us what's best. And we can trust that when He says no, or when we think He says no, even though it's tough to accept, that He's good. And I heard about a husband and wife, and they were were playing golf one day, and as they were uh, golfing, they ended up on one of the greens, and the wife said, you know, if something were to happen to me, do you think you'd remarry? And the husband, you know, said, well, no, I wouldn't remarry. It'd be too hard. She goes, well, wouldn't you want to be happy again? He said, yes. Yeah. So and she goes, I think you should remarry. He's like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'd remarry. And she goes, would you play golf with her? And he goes, well, well yeah, I guess so. If I got remarried, you know, that'd be a great thing to be able to do. We'd play golf. And she goes, well, would you let her use my clubs? He said, no, she's left-handed. <laughs> you know... If you're afraid of the answer, don't ask. You know, that's sometimes uh, the things we should do. If you're afraid of the answer, don't ask. And I I look back on life and I can think that with God, I can be thankful for the things that maybe I didn't want to hear. Maybe some of the no's that God said, I look back on life and think that was really for the best. I can think of times that I wanted something and God in His wisdom said no, because he was much wiser, obviously, than I am. And we're going to look at this account, and David kind of gets an answer that's a no. And it says in verse 1 of chapter 7, when King David was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies, the king summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, I am living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there in a tent. So this is a time David finally has some peace. And if you know David's story, he's on the run for years from King Saul. Then when Saul dies and David becomes king, there's still a lot of contentiousness going on and skirmishes and battles before he, for about seven years before he is made king. Then he conquers Jerusalem and makes that the capital. And, and now, and and he had a lot of battles with the Philistines in that time. And now he comes to this time of peace. And last week, we looked at David bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And we don't know how much time has passed, but David finally gets 
this point where there's peace. And he looks around him and he sees Jerusalem, the city that he has conquered and made the capital that's well defended. He's got this nice palace and he says, you know what, life is good. But something doesn't sit well with David because he looks out and he sees this tent and in that tent is the Ark of the Covenant. And another word for tent is, is tabernacle. So the ark, of, the ark is in the tabernacle, and David's in this palace, and that doesn't sit well. And, you know, I think that shows something of David's heart for God, that even though he's got everything around him that people could ask for, he sees something's lacking, and he wants to do something for the Lord, even in that time. And I think we've seen, we can look at account after account of sto- or story of celebrities who have everything, but they're not content. They're not content because they don't have God in the center of their life. And I can tell you, you can have everything in life, everything can be going well, but if you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you will not find the true peace and contentment. And David just sees something out of place, and even though he's got everything, he says, you know what, this isn't right. And it says in verse 3, Nathan replied to the king, go ahead and do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. Okay, so Nathan, he goes to the prophet Nathan, and Nathan, like, that sounds great, you know, to build a permanent temple, something, a a big stone structure for the Ark of the Covenant. And so it just seems to David and to Nathan, like, this is a great thing that we can do. But look at verse 4, it says, but that same night, the Lord said to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has declared. Are you the one to build a house for me to live in? I've never lived in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until this very day. I have always moved from place, one place to another, with a tent and a tabernacle as my dwelling. Yet no matter where I have gone with the Israelites, I have never once complained to Israel's tribal leaders, the shepherds of my people Israel. I have never asked them, why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar house? And so he gets that answer, that God said, this isn't something I've asked for. You know, you have these plans, but this wasn't my plan from the beginning, and it's not something I asked for. Then it says in verse 8, now go and say to my servant David, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. Now I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on earth, and I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they've done in the past, starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. So David gets this encouraging message from God, letting him know, though, that there's a bigger plan than what David has. And he's telling him, you know what, slow down. This isn't about you building a house for me. This is about me building a house for you that ultimately will lead to the coming of the Messiah. See, that's why it's important that Jesus was born of the line of David, that God has a bigger plan. Even in what he's doing for David, there's a bigger plan in that. And he says, it's about me building a kingdom that is bigger than you, Jesus, that David's descendant 
Jesus still is on the throne of a kingdom that will never end. And he tells David in verse 16, he says, Your house and your kingdom will continue before me before all time, and your throne will be secure forever. That because Jesus has come, and he has brought the kingdom of God, and one day it will fully come, he sits on the throne forever, and that promise to David is fulfilled. Now, I read about a CEO, and his name is Thomas Wheeler, and he told this story about a time he and his wife uh, were driving through town, and they were on the road, and they were running low on gas, and they stopped the service station as they were low, and you can tell it was years ago because they had a service station attendant, and uh, Thomas Wheeler, the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, Massachusetts Mutual Life, he got out and went into the little store while the guy pumped the gas, and when he was in the store, he looked out and saw his wife, you know, got out of the car and was talking to the, the, the service attendant, and then as he came, they, she kind of got back in the car, and they got back on the road, and he said, well, it looked like you had a conversation with the service station attendant. Were you familiar with him? She goes, oh, yeah, he's actually somebody I used to date in high school, dated for about a year, and it was pretty serious. He goes, oh, wow, what a... Uh, that's pretty incredible. And as he, he got down the road, he goes, you know, I bet I know what you're thinking. You're thinking you're so lucky, you're so lucky that I came along that, you know, you're, now you're married to the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. And if you'd married him, you would have been married to a service station attendant. And she said, that's not what I was thinking. He goes, oh, are you sure? She goes, yeah, I was thinking if I'd married him, he'd be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, and you'd be a service station attendant. (laughs) Yeah, I think in this case, David's kind of getting the roles reversed. David's kind of wanting to make the plans, and here's what's going on. And and God is saying, you know what? I've got the plans. What what needs to happen for me is, is going to happen. David says, I'll build you a temple, and God says, thanks, but no thanks. And if you go on into that account, he tells David that his son Solomon will be the one to build the temple. And maybe this is why David doesn't take it so badly. And we can see David's response in verse 18, which David has a great response. And I think here, David's advantage is he kind of gets the no, but he gets the reason why. And then he goes into this great response to God. But I also think even though we don't know and we don't always get the reason why the answer is no, it's the same response we should have. It says, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and prayed, Who am I, O sovereign Lord, and what is my family, that you have brought me this far? And now, sovereign Lord, in addition to everything else, you speak of giving your servant a lasting dynasty. Do you deal with everything this way, O sovereign Lord? See, David, instead of his plan, sits back and reflects on how good that God has been to him, the grace that God has shown him, the things he hasn't deserved that God has poured out into his life. I think that's really what our response should be. But how do we really handle it? You know, I wish I could say I handle it like that, but that's not usually how I handle it. Or if there's a, a delay... But God's response humbles David, and it actually gives him pause to thank God for all that he's done and all that he's, the ways he's blessed his life. I mean, I know we've all experienced a no at one time or another, a big no. Maybe it was a loved one that had cancer, 
or a spouse that left and you prayed, but that didn't change it. They didn't change their mind. Maybe it's a job that you've been praying about and the answer just seems to be no. Why is that? Why is the answer sometimes no? I want to look at some things first. Maybe the request is wrong. You know, maybe it may be well-intentioned, but somehow it's wrong. It's just not in the plans, or God has something better planned than what we are asking. And God loves us too much to give us everything we ask for. Have you ever thought what life would look like if God granted you every request that you made? You know, there were, for me, there was this girl that I saw, you know, when I first went to junior high and all our elementary schools combined, there was the prettiest girl I ever saw, you know, up in my life up to that point. So I would have married her, you know, if God had answered my prayer. And then I probably would have grown to be six foot five. I, I wouldn't have been here. I'm sorry. I love it here. But, you know, God knew better. I would have been six five. I would have been the quarterback of the Denver Broncos. We'd have won every Super Bowl and we'd be good now. To this day, you know, then I would have been on TV as some sort of celebrity if God, and that's probably how everybody's life would have gone. We'd have all been famous and wealthy if God had granted every request we asked for. Because often our motives are for us. And if we got everything we asked for, it'd be kind of a weird place. Proverbs 16 says, all a man's ways seem right to him, but the Lord evaluates the motives. A lot of our requests, they seem right. And maybe we feel like they're purely intentional, but God can really go through the motives of our heart even better than we can. And oftentimes, maybe it's not a wrong request, and maybe it's not it's pure motives, but God just has something bigger or better plan, or there's something we don't understand. And really, for David, in this case, it's more about God having plans that were greater than David's. Another thing is this, the timing is wrong. It's not necessarily a no, but it's a not now. And oftentimes we take a no, we take, or if God is saying not now, we take that as a no. You know, I don't know how kids, we never had the DVD in the car or anything, you know, I don't know. You know, one of the questions we get driving down the road from our son is, are we there yet? How much further? And I don't know if kids do that with DVDs in the cars, you know, going across Kansas. I think everybody ought to have to suffer through Kansas once without a phone or anything in their life to make them appreciate the world that we live in, that we live in now. But, you know, we're very impatient. And we take God, maybe if the answer is not now, as a no. And so we get upset, kind of like when a vending machine fails. I mean, we've all been to that point where we've put money in a machine, we punch the buttons and it spins and then that candy bar, that bag of chips is just almost there and the thing stops. And you would think in the course of 40 years, they could create a machine that could reliably give you your candy. And so if you're like me, I'll start to nudge it a little bit. And then if no one's around, I'll really start, you know, bumping it really hard. And if I'm really sure no one's around, then, you know, and you're not afraid you might try to stick your hand up there and get it because I paid for it. You know, it's kind of like that. I I paid for that snack and and it's aggravating. Well, sometimes I think that's how we view God when he says no or, or not now. That it's like a vending machine that we don't get what we want and we get mad. I've seen a lot of You know, some stories of people who've abandoned their faith or quit being a Christian because, well, God didn't do this. He didn't answer their prayer on this. 
And really what I was saying, you know what? God's a vending machine and he didn't give me what I wanted. So I kicked the machine and I walked away. And we've got to see, do we see God as a vending machine or as someone who knows more than us that we can trust? It says in Romans 8, verse 28, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. We know, even if it's no, even if it's not now, that all things work together for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. So maybe it's not a no, it's just not now. But one thing we know is that we can trust, and that's what faith is, is knowing that God sees more than we do. That God is a good Father who gives us what we truly need, more than just what we want. And the third thing is this. Maybe the request is wrong and God is telling us to grow. In James 4, it says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. One of the problems with our requests sometimes is that they're, that they're selfish, that it's really about us more than it is about God's kingdom and His will. And when Jesus taught the disciples how to pray in the Lord's Prayer, He's like, you know, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that that's the basis for our requests is that God's will be done. And I got to thinking, how many people do you think prayed over this last week that they would have the winning Powerball ticket? I'm sure if you bought one, there was probably a little prayer like, you know, God, if I win this, I'm going to do some really nice things for people. You know, I'm going to help this, help this out, you know, give some to the church, and, and I'll have a nice sports car collection to go along with it. You know, you got to enjoy a little bit. But I bet there were a lot of prayers for the winning Powerball ticket. But a lot of those, you know, if we were honest, you know, it's probably a little bit selfish. There's a, a big upside to winning that for us. But if we wanted every prayer answered and we wanted a yes, we can have our desires, our motives, and plans match God's. And that's, that's truly how we would get those answers. That's what Jesus means when he says, if you ask for something in my name, it means that it's truly for God's glory and for his will and for his kingdom. Then that means we still should ask. James also says you do not have because you do not ask. It's important that we ask. But it's also important that as we ask, we trust and we're seeking God's will in all things. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. See, when your delight is in God and in his plans, then you will find contentment. If our desires are for ourselves, we might find a lot more no than we find yes. But when our desire is in the Lord, He'll give us the desires of our heart. So the thing is, when we hear a no, God may be saying, get your heart right. A no is a chance to grow. Now, there's a very popular false teaching that many accept today. Many will call it the health and wealth gospel or the name it, claim it. There are several versions and many popular authors and speakers today believe in it, but they believe if you truly have faith, then you'll be healthy. If you have a sickness and, and you're still sick, it's, it's because you don't have enough faith. And, and God wants everybody to be wealthy and you know, wants you to have everything. You just have to have faith. 
And basically, it's a form of materialism just disguised as Christianity. That God wants you to have all these things for your own use and your own pleasure. And most of the people teaching it have really big hair, weird suits, and, you know, millions of dollars that go along with it and fly jets. You know, they've invented this to explain why they have all this and why you don't. But even groups outside of Christianity that aren't Christian have identified this as this isn't Christianity. This isn't historical Christianity. It doesn't gel with scriptures. But many who should know better are sucked in because it teaches something. Oh, God wants me to have wealth and and health and wants everything to be about here and now. And it's really no different than what an atheist wants. But it's not historical and it's not what scripture teaches about faith. Just because God says no doesn't mean it's a lack of faith. It may be a chance to grow. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, here's an interesting thing. Paul, three times he says, he pleaded. And the answer was no, my grace is sufficient for you. For Paul, he had all the faith in the world. It wasn't a question of faith, but there was a purpose it was allowed because he said, you know what? It kept me from becoming, from becoming conceited, that it taught him to rely on God in his weakness, that that's why the answer was no, because it taught him to lean on God's grace. And there in that, it was a chance for Paul to grow instead of become conceited. So when the answer is no or it's not now, there's some things we can remember. One, God has a bigger perspective. Again, we can look at our lives, and if God had answered every prayer, it probably, most of them would probably be about here and now. We wouldn't grow the way that we need to grow. And God has bigger plans for you and me than we have for ourselves because God's shaping us for eternity. God's into the long term, not the short term. You know, when my wife and I moved here, it was February of 1995. Uh, we had all these plans when we got here that, you know, shortly, you know, after we moved here, we were going to uh, start having a family. We'd have a child and, and we'd have a baby come and soon that'd be on the way. And, you know, we were debating how many kids we were going to have. And you know what? So it just wasn't happening. She didn't get pregnant. And we prayed for years and years and never had an answer to that prayer. And it was so frustrating because it just felt like we had the purest motives. And it got to the point where eventually I just kind of told God, I'm so tired of asking that I'm just going to quit asking. And I was very frustrated. I wasn't taking the not now or the no very well. But fortunately, we had friends who continued to pray for us in eight years. Finally, when we were 30, we were approached about adopting our son. And we would have never been approached had we already had a child. And it's because of that God knew there's a child that was going to need a mother and a father. And he had a home picked out. 
And God wasn't saying no. He was saying not now, and he has a plan that's bigger and better than ours. And so it's a reminder that God has a bigger perspective that God can see beyond. And another thing, not only does God have a bigger perspective, but God has a better plan. It says in Isaiah 55, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, God is saying He he can see much more. You know, He's God. We're very limited, and we can trust. Seven times in this chapter, if you read it, David will use the word sovereign, meaning God is in control. There's nothing that we pray about that we ask that He isn't in control of. And we can trust Him. Because he is good. Jesus makes emphasizes that in Matthew 7. He says, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And that's what we can ultimately trust in is that God will give us what we truly need because He's a good Father. Not just what we ask for in the moment, not just what we want right now, but He can see beyond and He can understand just as we can understand with our kids that, you know, you want this, but it's really better that you don't have it because there's something better down the road or there's something you're going to learn from this, that it's better that you don't, but that's a good thing. He's a good Father who gives us what we truly need. And God loves you, and He wants the best for you. And that's what we can trust. For more information about Pomona Christian Church, please visit us at PomonaChristian.com or find us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Pomona Christian.